Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Good morning, Dwelling Place. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys this morning. What a powerful presence of the Lord is in this place. Oh, man, did it bless my heart to see all of our kids just up there worshiping the Lord. Listen, there's nothing more beautiful, nothing more worthy than to teach our children that he is worthy of their praise, that he has good things in store for them. And so we just rejoice today. I want to welcome all of you who are streaming live today. And those of you in our congregation for the first time, my name's Michelle Craig. If you've never met me, I'm Pastor Chad's wife. And um, we are wrapping up today an amazing series that we've been in, really a a very important series um, titled God's People, A Biblical Response to Racism. So if you're here for the first time, you might kind of be like, wondering where I'm coming from with this message. And so if you have an opportunity after you leave us, I would encourage you to go on our website and we have our messages there that you can listen to from the weeks prior. And as I said, I just think it would be important for you to recognize that it's a it's a really important message series that we've been in. So um, that will kind of help you to understand where I'm coming from today as we wrap things up. So before we get started, I want to read two passages of Scripture, and then we will pray. The first one is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, and it reads, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Then Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39 reads, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in this place and that your desire is to minister to us today, to change our thinking, to change our hearts, to form us into the image of Jesus, to empower us to live like him, to talk like him, to behave like him, to love like him. And so, Lord, we receive that from you today. We open our hearts, and we say you are welcome to speak to us. You are welcome to change us. We want to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Too often, we've not looked to the scriptures as our primary authority when it comes to forming our views toward immigrants and immigration. A LifeWay research poll found that when it comes to the top factor— that informs their views on the topic, more evangelicals cited the media than the Bible, 
their local church, and national Christian leaders combined. This is an error. One of the primary responsibilities of all believers is to allow the word of God to form or reform our thinking, and that is in all areas of life. It's in marriage, in parenting, in finances, relationships, education, morality, and politics. We must allow the word of God to be the top factor. To look in the word of God for instruction, understanding, and wisdom on every subject of life must be our first step and not our last option. When we trust the flawed and self-interested and self-serving opinions of man above God's word to form our thinking, we're positioning ourselves to go wrong. And when it comes to immigrants, understanding the heart of God and the character of God becomes really important if we're going to live in a way that exemplifies the life of Christ before immigrants. And we need to understand today, God has not called us to love our nation, our culture, our traditions more than we love people. And that's true for every believer, whether they're here in the United States or they live in India, in any part of the world, God has not said that we are to put these things above loving the people made in the image of Christ, whom God sent his son to shed his blood for. And when we do, we fail to obey God's desire. And we are vulnerable to open our hearts and our minds to prejudice, discrimination, judgment, and even the sin of racism. So today I want us to understand four things. First, God's heart for the immigrant. Second, our responsibility as believers to care for the immigrant. Third, the opportunities afforded to us through immigration. And number four, how we can express God's love to the immigrant. Now, of course, as you may know, one of the reasons I chose this topic today is because my parents are immigrants. And so this is a message that I have lived out in my own life. And so obviously my heart is very burdened for the church to understand God's heart. As you all know, people have migrated the earth throughout generations. So it's not a surprise that the Bible actually has a lot to say about God's heart towards the immigrant or the foreigner. And even in this room, I'm sure many of you, how many of you have ever done like an Ancestry.com? That's like, a oh, yeah, actually more. So I'm sure if we all sat down and decided to do an Ancestry.com, there's very few of us in this room that could even trace our families really right here in America. Most of us are children of immigrants. And of course, we all know that the issues surrounding immigration are serious and they don't just affect us here in the United States, but certainly in countries throughout the world. So we need to understand what the scripture says about this. 
Now, the passages I read earlier in Leviticus and in Matthew show the unchanging position of God's heart regarding the foreigner. He consistently speaks to the people of Israel in the Old Testament about how he expects the foreigner to be treated by them. They are to treat them justly. And then again in the New Testament, remember I started in Leviticus, Old Testament, and then in Matthew, where again in the New Testament, Jesus not only speaks of God's desire that the foreigner amongst us be treated with care, but he goes beyond words to demonstrate that care through his own actions. And so the various examples of immigration found in Scripture teach us how much this topic matters to the heart of God. And let's take a look at some examples within Scripture and the circumstances surrounding people being driven to make this choice to leave their own home in search of another. Now, some, you will find, are forced to immigrate. Do you remember Joseph? Did he make a choice to leave his home? No, he sold into slavery to Egypt by his brothers. You have people like Daniel, who is exiled to Babylon and is forced to take a new home. You have David, who runs away from King Saul when he's pursuing him to kill him, and he goes to hide among the Philistines. You have some in Scripture who immigrate at the instruction of God's word. Remember Abram? God commands him to leave his land and to follow him who knows where, simply to trust. Then you even have Joseph and Mary, who after Jesus is born, are instructed to flee to Egypt to escape Herod. And they actually remain there for several years. There's different um, there's different opinions about how long they were actually in Egypt. But nonetheless, at the instruction of God's word, they must leave their land. Some leave due to a form of lack. You have Ruth, who after she's widowed, decides to follow Naomi back to Bethlehem, a place unfamiliar to her, a place where she has no family. But there she can find provision. Then, of course, you have many times in Scripture where people must flee due to famine, such as in the life of Jacob and Isaac. And some of these same reasons are the reasons why people immigrate here today. Some are forced. Some at the instruction of God's Word. That's actually the case of my parents. They came to the United States with a call of God to reach people of Spanish-speaking languages here in America. It was the instruction of God's word. And then, of course, we see multiple millions of people who are in lack and seek provision here. Within our own congregation today, we have a beautiful community of people from different nations of the world. And for me, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. 
Some of these people I asked earlier in the week to share with me a little bit of their immigration stories, and I'm going to share a little bit of those with you today. We have a beautiful young lady. I don't actually think she's here today, but you might guess. I won't give her name. You might guess that after meeting her would-be husband and falling in love, she made the choice to leave her homeland and come to America to marry him. And was it an easy choice? Well, if you ask her, it certainly wasn't. Do you leave everyone and everything that you know and love and are familiar with for a guy? (laughs) Well, if you're in love, you do. And thankfully, the Lord led both she and her husband here to our church, and we are beneficiaries of that choice. You also have other members in our congregation, one who came to the U.S. seeking education that they simply could not obtain in their own country. This member is from a nation that's experienced decades of economic instability and civil unrest. And so her mother made the very difficult decision to make her way to the United States in order to provide her children the means to study, the means to work, and secure their well-being. Was it an easy choice? No, it was not. Another DPR came to America seeking refuge from violence. And after experiencing various forms of loss, including kidnapping of family members, this family chose to leave behind careers, social status, the comfort of home for the promise of safety and security. I'll share one more of a family who was suffering incredible financial lack, leading to poverty, and in their desperation, they came to America to feed, literally, their family for survival. For those choosing the course, there are no guarantees. There is hope and there is a determination to make the most of every opportunity to achieve the American dream. And it is their achievement. It's not a handout. It's not something taken. It's something they've determined to achieve. And no matter the reason, no matter the choices leading to this decision, it's always one ultimately of sacrifice and loss. And God sees all of those factors. Parents wishing to protect children from environments of poverty, violence, corruption, and overall lack. He understands that pain. He is familiar with the pain of the loss and of the pain that's coming through risks of physical endangerment, emotional pain, prejudices, discrimination, demeaning attitudes, and racist abuse. And when a person chooses to take on these risks, whether they do it legally or illegally, some things will change. Many things will change for them. But one thing never changes, and that is the heart of God to care and love the person he's created. He cares about the factors leading to that decision, and he cares about the challenges confronting that decision. He also cares about the treatment that they will receive 
from people who don't talk like them or look like them. And because God cares, he commands us as believers, as people who declare his name, as people who give off his reputation to care about them as well. So how is God asking us to care? Well, let's see how he does it. In Deuteronomy 27, 19, he says, Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, which means he wants us to ensure that people are treated with justice. In Psalm 146, 9, it says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. If that's how he cares, that's how he expects us to care to ensure that they are sustained and that they are watched over. Jeremiah 22.3 says, He desires their safety. This is what the Lord says. Do what is right and just. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. If he cares about their safety, he expects us to care and ensure their safety as well. Zechariah 7.10 says, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner or the poor. If he cares in that way to ensure that they are free from oppression, he expects us to care in the same way, that we would ensure that they are free from oppression. Deuteronomy 10.18 reads, He defends the cause of the fatherless, the widow, and loves the foreigner, giving them food and clothing. If that's how he cares for them, he expects us to care in the same way to ensure that they are cared for and provided for. All of these scriptures demonstrate the character and the nature of God. He is just. He is the sustainer. He is the protector. He is the deliverer. He is the provider. And as believers, we are his imitators. We imitate his justice. We imitate his sustaining power. We imitate his protection. We imitate his deliverance. We imitate his provision. We are to imitate his character and demonstrate that character through actions toward the immigrant. So, As Daniel Carroll says in Christians at the Border, Immigration, the Church, and the Bible, regardless of our views on public policy, our disposition toward foreigners themselves should emulate that of our God who has a deep love for the needy, the disenfranchised, and whoever they are and whatever the cause of their situation. Go with me to Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. On an occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But... He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus' message here is incredibly powerful. He's asked by an expert in the law about how to receive eternal life. And if you're an expert, why are you asking the question? You should know. But he's asking Jesus to test him to test his character. The man gets the answer right, and he replies, wanting to justify himself. He asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? One of the reasons people continue racist behaviors or accept a racist outlook toward immigrants or toward anybody is because they want to justify themselves. And here's what that looks like. They're illegal. They're lawbreakers. They're criminals. They're here to take up all our resources. They don't deserve that. And I don't have to care about people like that. And there's a lot of dangerous assumptions made in this line of thinking. And I can guarantee you it's not the line of thinking of Jesus which is why Jesus' definition here of your neighbor being the good Samaritan is so interesting. See, a Samaritan was a foreigner who came to the aid of a man in need. And Jesus exposes here the prejudice and the heart of the expert to justify himself for refusing to act like God. Everyone who passed by the man on the road should have taken care of that man's need. He was one of their own. But when your heart is filled with any form of prejudice, maybe they thought, oh, he's a poor man. I don't have to bow down and serve someone like that. Whatever prejudice was in the heart of the, those people who walked away, they did so in self-justification. And it took a foreigner who chose to act like God to teach this expert a lesson about what loving God and loving people looks like. And if I am a Christian and God has to use a foreigner, maybe a Muslim, maybe a Buddhist, to teach me how to live and love like God, that's a humbling experience. And that's exactly what happens here. Listen, racism, as we know, has always been. As long as sin has been, racism has been. And it was rampant in Jesus' day. 
Jewish people targeted racism at foreigners like Samaritans and Gentiles. Romans targeted it at anyone who wasn't a Roman. But we see that Jesus consistently makes it a point to combat racist behavior, racist thinking, by interacting with as many foreigners as possible and accepting them as his neighbors, and he was despised for it. And the immigrant is now your neighbor, which means that you and I have a responsibility to obey God's command to love them as I love myself. And when you choose to obey the word of God, to love your neighbor by opening your mind and your heart to accept the immigrant among you, like Jesus, there might be some who will despise you for it and think you're foolish. But our obedience to God is never worth sacrificing to the opinion or acceptance of man. Racism or justifying oneself will allow a person to show mercy on a lawbreaker who looks like them, was born here, raised here, and speaks with good English, but will keep them from having mercy on a lawbreaker who crosses a border and speaks with an accent. And that's dangerous. In the eyes of God, both lawbreakers, the one with good English and a citizenship, or the one who's here illegally, both are lawbreakers in the eyes of God, but both are worthy of his justice, worthy of his mercy, worthy of his love, worthy of his care, worthy of his forgiveness. And God commands us to offer that to both. Amen? If we only think of our neighbor as those who look like us, talk like us, think like us, we will always fail to obey God's command to love our neighbor. And we will be vulnerable to participating in perpetuating racist thinking and behavior. Listen, Satan will take any little bit you give him. In an article called Welcoming the Stranger, Justice, Compassion, and Truth in the Immigration Debate, Sorens and Yang say the role of the church and of the individual Christian is not the same as the role of the government. However we approach immigration policy, Christians must first approach immigrants themselves as neighbors with love. Loving like God means defending like God, defending your neighbor against racism and injustice, Jesus did it, and he commands you to do it too. Now, there are many opportunities provided to us through immigration. And if you'll open up your heart and put on some spiritual lenses, you'll see them. I want to talk about a few of these today. Did you know that about one in 10 evangelicals currently in the U.S. are immigrants. One in 10. That means we have an opportunity to welcome them into our churches, not only as neighbors, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I praise God that here at DP, we've done that and are doing that. 
Our church can serve as both a spiritual home and a new physical family. And we should rejoice at the thought of this, at the thought that we can be a picture of heaven on earth through a multicultural fellowship. Amen? We can rejoice that we have a community that chooses to respect one another, to value one another, to serve one another, and to learn from one another and grow together. Something else this also means is that immigrants God can use to help us bring revival to our nation. Missiologist Timothy Tennant, he's the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, noted in an article that he wrote that 86%, 86% of the immigrant population in North America are likely to either be Christians or become Christians, which is significantly higher than the national average which means the immigrant population actually presents the greatest hope for Christian renewal in North America, is what he argues. If we will put on a spiritual mind frame and a spiritual lens, we can begin to see just how God can turn a complicated issue into something used for his glory. Amen? And our church can be a place of healing for the immigrant from the pain of their loss. If you were to sit down with anyone in this room today who is a child of an immigrant or an immigrant themselves, you will find a common theme in their story, and that is the theme of loss. They have the loss of physical proximity to their family, the loss of cultural connectedness, There's the loss of time, and for some, even the loss of identity. I remember specifically going through that many times as a child and in my youth, not understanding my identity. Where do I fit in? And as a church, we have an opportunity to be a new family where these people can work through that pain. They can find healing here. They can find acceptance here. They can find value here. And ultimately, they can come to understand that their identity in Christ is of greatest value. Amen? We also have an opportunity. So we have the opportunity to welcome people who are already Christians. We have an opportunity to partner with them in the advancement of the gospel while healing their loss. And we have an opportunity to preach the gospel to all nations from right here in America. By the classification criteria of the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board, currently in America, there are more than 361 unreached people groups present within the boundaries of the United States, more than any country except India and China. Listen, what does that mean? Why should we care? 
It means that if I reach one of those people with the gospel, that person will communicate the gospel to the people they've left behind. And we can accelerate the gospel going forth throughout the world. And that is important. And we should pray and say, Lord, help me to see that, to capture it, to grab hold of it, to be excited and passionate and purposeful behind preaching the gospel to immigrants because it accelerates the moving of God's spirit here and around the world. So we cannot turn a blind eye to this opportunity. We must understand that despite the circumstances that led anyone to immigrate here, once they are here, we should do all we can to ensure that they meet Jesus. Amen? And we do this in love and in respect. We acknowledge there are cultural differences. There are complexities. But we have to understand that we will give an account to the Lord for how we served people with the gospel. Ultimately, God will not judge you on how you fought to maintain a secure border or preserved American culture, though it's important. He will judge you on how you served people and if you were faithful to offer them the gift of salvation. And God have mercy. I do not want to stand before him and say, I chose to put all my attention to things that in the end don't matter. We have a duty to be an example to unbelievers of what it means to love others by the way we treat the immigrant. It's healthy when Christians graciously and respectfully disagree about the various nuanced details of immigration policy. We can disagree. I'm sure I disagree with some of you. I'm sure you disagree with me. But it's vital that the language we use to describe immigrants themselves, not the issue of immigration, but the people, always reflects the unique dignity that God has placed in that person. James 3.9, he laments the use of the same tongue to praise God, but to curse people. We curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness, and James says that's an evil thing. So we are to commit then to speak respectfully to and about the immigrant. One of the most powerful weapons that a racist uses is their tongue. And in my own life and in the life of other immigrants in this room today, we have experienced the piercing tongue of racism. It says words like, speak English, go back to where you came from. You're a criminal. You're using up our resources. You're stealing our jobs. You're a wetback. You're a spick. You're a beaner. And many more expressions that are all rooted in ignorance, in assumptions, and in pride. And God says, don't you dare, as a believer, curse what God blesses. 
These words bring a curse upon people made in the image of God by devaluing and belittling the very same people who Jesus bled and died for. And how dare we take up that same practice if we're believers. We, we must not hinder the work, the work of God's spirit in the life of immigrants in our nation because of our tongue. Don't participate in that kind of talk. And don't sit in silence when that kind of talk takes place in your presence. Instead, use your words to demonstrate the character of God. What is God's character? He defends. He edifies. He blesses with his words. Come in the defense of the person who is being cursed by words, attitudes, and behaviors rooted in racist thinking. Commit also to acknowledge and value the contributions of immigrants. Yes, undoubtedly, there are difficult political issues brought about through immigration. However, there is also the reality that the vast majority of immigrants contribute significantly to our nation's benefit. I asked several immigrants here what they would want non-immigrants to understand about them as an immigrant. And they all answered the same way. We want people to know we love this country and want to contribute to it, not take from it. And listen, you can look up at the numbers. Again, there are difficult political issues. But ultimately, overall, immigrants have used the potential God has placed within them to contribute mightily to the United States. In fact, 20%, 20% of Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants, and another quarter of those founded by the children of immigrants. All people want to feel valued and accepted and want to be appreciated for their contributions. And when we minimize and disparage people, we not only hurt them, we hurt ourselves. And we certainly hurt the reputation of Jesus. It's important then that we acknowledge that though there are complicated and unresolved issues involved with immigration policy, there are also contributions we benefit from. And it's a balance of tension, but it is a reality. So when it comes to you and I personally relating with the immigrant, the Christian must be considerate to instill in them the value, the worth that God places upon them. They are deserving of it because they are loved by God and ultimately, they are in need of God. And we can never forget that. Um, Casey, you can go ahead and come up if you'd like. If you can. <laughs> Not if you'd like. So listen, folks. This whole series has been so important. As a church, we've spent the last month listening to the voice of God's Spirit, calling us to be an example calling us to do better. We can all do better when it comes to issues of prejudice, of discrimination, of racism. 
Racism seeks to divide people. It is demonic in its agenda. Listen to me. Ultimately, it's not about black, white, Hispanic, Asian. It's about a demonic agenda to set people against each other and to infuse hatred in the hearts of both the racist and the one receiving their abuse. And by doing so, Satan wins on both sides. He rejoices with the racist who is constantly abusing people with their hatred, and he rejoices with the victim who sits in bitterness and loathing and ultimately also harbors hate. He wins on both sides. And as Christians and as DP members, we must be committed to expose that agenda. And we must guard ourselves from the vulnerability to give our minds and our hearts over to thoughts and attitudes that would empower racist feelings and behaviors in our own lives. Listen, all of us can be tempted even with this sin. You know, most people do not like to be called a racist. They're instantly offended. I would be too. But I also cannot be foolish enough to think that I could never be tempted with that sin. That I could never be tempted to despise someone or diminish someone because of their race. So which is why series like this are important which is why it's important for you to give yourself space to listen, to learn from people who don't look like you, who don't come from the same cultural background as you, so that you can allow the Holy Spirit to reveal anything in your heart and in my own that could harbor this sin. And so that then you can allow him to bring repentance to grant forgiveness and to give you the power to walk in the love and grace of God toward all people. And he will do it. But you have to give yourself over to him to do it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.